0: Welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers to importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Well, I'm very excited to welcome to the show Jen Blair. Uh, Jen is an Advanced Cicero National BJCP judge and co-host of the Beer and Brewing podcast False Bottom Girls. Uh, Not only wonderfully named, but it is a fantastic show. Um, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: So I want to give the listeners a little bit of an idea of where the inspiration for this show came from. Uh, So a couple of episodes ago, we had a really great conversation with Michelle Wonder, uh, and we were able to discuss how to make brewing competitions, homebrew competitions more inclusive and how to break down any barriers that might be existing uh, for homebrew competitions, which then led us down a really wonderful rabbit hole of talking to a couple different people about (laughs) But recently, um, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw that for Crafted for Action, you were doing a breakout session called Turning the Beer Judging Tables, Strategies for an Inclusive Judging Environment. And I was instantly excited um, that there is some thought and effort going into breaking down barriers on the other side of beer competitions. And so I reached out, slid into your DMs, and (laughs) you responded. And so I'm very excited. And here we are. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So before we dive into um, the breakout session and and the work that you do, I just want to if you could give us a little bit of a background on you know how you got into beer what your journey's been like you do an amazing amount of things so take us away
1: thank you uh, well my beer journey started with home brewing uh, so home brewing is something that's very near and dear to my heart although I don't get to do it as much today as I used to be able to do um but you know I'm, I'm very much like to learn how things work and learning about beer for me has been a nonstop journey. Uh, My background is in economics and law. And so it's amazing how, like how beer really does touch everything in our civilization and how it can be such a good kind of bellwether for what's, what was going on at the time or Mm -hmm. what's to come. Um, And I did my first beer judging competition in 2016. And I had entered my beers and competitions before that and I remember, like the first competition I entered, like I would not only was going to win the, <laughs> the 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 um style that I was entered in, but I was going to like win the whole thing. People were going to be like, "Oh my god!" And it was just going to be the best beer anybody would ever tried. And of course, I didn't win at all. Like I didn't even get a medal. <laughs> um, and you know, but it was still a good beer. And I wanted to keep doing that. I like getting the, that feedback and I'm a, I'm a very competitive person. So I enjoy entering competitions. Um, I don't place more often than I do, uh, but it's still, it's still good. And I wanted to learn about that beer judging experience. So I started judging beer at homebrew competitions, and that was really valuable for me in terms of being a homebrewer who is a woman, And, you know, so often if you're in a marginalized or historically excluded community, you know, or you have the mindset that you can't just be as good as the, as the other people, you have to be even better. Oh, you have to be the best. Right, exactly. And so, you know, for a while I was, I, I didn't want to enter competitions because I didn't think that my beer was good enough because if it wasn't going to win, then it wasn't good enough to enter and beer judging was so helpful for me to see that like just like me most beers that are in that are entered into competitions don't win medals it's just a very small number and really the experience is getting that feedback of you know having people taste your beer blind and giving you as objective as feedback as possible i know i've gotten Some score sheets back before where somebody's picked up an off flavor that, you know, I'm very good at off flavors and I didn't pick it up. Um, Does that mean that it's not there? No, it, it likely means that I'm the one who made the beer. So I've got a soft spot for it. Right. So I'm not looking for faults in my own beers. But once I started judging competitions, it made me more likely to enter competitions just because I understood that there really is a spectrum in terms of quality. And it's fantastic palate training to be able to sit down with, you know, 10 Munich Dunkels and one might be really good. One might be really bad. All the rest are somewhere in between and, you know, they're, they're going to be good. Like they're, they're okay. But you kind of learned, you know, eight different ways how not to make an award-winning Munich Dunkel. And that's really fantastic as, as a judge, as somebody who's, you know, I'm always working on building my palette. Uh, so A few years ago, I was at the national homebrew competition in Portland and was watching the awards. And out of all the people who walked across the stage, only two were women. And I was thinking to myself, okay, what can we do? So there aren't only two women walking across the stage. And one of the things I realized was, you know, drawing from my experience as a beer judge is that once I could see kind of behind that curtain and see that, Most beers are fine, right? You'll Mm -hmm. have a few that are really offensive and a few that are amazing, but most beers are good. Yeah. You know, increasing the number of women who were at the judging table would also lead hopefully to those same kinds of, you know, learning experiences. So I started doing a free beer judge training in 2021. And when I first, like when I did it, I thought maybe I was hoping for like maybe 40 or 50 people. Mm -hmm. And almost 800 people signed up, like, within the span of a week. So I was completely floored. And, (laughs) that you know, there was, that meant that there was obviously uh, people out there who wanted to do this and didn't know how to get involved or didn't feel like they were qualified or, like, they were welcome. Mm So I went through that side of going through this training process. Uh, I still hear from people who have, like, still do some of my beer judge training and people who are, you know, going for their BJCP tasting exams and things like that. Um, but, you know, then I also realize, as a judge myself, I know I'm a very qualified judge and I know that I'm, I'm a good judge. I take it very seriously. I make sure that I'm giving people good feedback and that doesn't matter if when you get to the table, the person across from you doesn't respect you. Or you have, you know, somebody who is sexist or racist or homophobic that, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a judge you are. Why would you put yourself in that situation? Right. So you're going to opt out of that. Uh, And that really led me to addressing the how do we make beer competitions more inclusive because we're doing the work to get more people to the table. But if you're not treated well, once you're at the table, why would you stay?
0: So I, I kind of want people to understand you know how the beer judging process works as far as you know when you compare it to, you know I've, I've judged um, cocktail competitions, I've judged you know wine uh, stuff. <laughs> um, and a lot of time a lot of times the judging experience is very solitary, right? You have your little row of things. You have all the sheets of paper that you need to fill out. Um, you taste, you write, and that is it. It's, it's it's not an experience where you really have to interact with somebody. But a lot of times, beer judging is very different. Um, so if you could take people kind of through that and why having somebody at the table who is so disruptive can, can make it such a bad experience.
1: Definitely. And that's a really interesting point. That's not something that I, I knew about, like, cocktails or wine judging and, like, the Um, introvert loner of me is like, "Hmm, maybe I should start doing that so I can (laughs) talk to less people. Uh, But yeah, so at a beer judging competition, you're going to be paired with at least one other judge. If you are a newer judge, you're going to be paired with somebody, hopefully somebody more experienced now. My second competition, I was the head judge at my table because I had judged one more competition than the guy I was judging with. So, you know, the experience thing isn't you're not always going to get somebody who's been doing it for like five years. Uh, Sometimes it's somebody who's just trying to stay one step ahead. Right. But you're paired with at least one other person. Uh, Ideally, you will be paired with somebody with more experience than you have who can walk you through the score sheet process helping you kind of figure out, you know, where where exactly does this beer fit? How do I give feedback? So with the beer competition, most particularly homebrew competitions are going to use the BJCP beer style guidelines. And these are released every few years. It's put together by a small handful of people. Uh, and they're intended to be guidelines. You know, there, it's not it's not law. That's what I always tell people. Like, you can enter whatever beer you want in any category. The beer police are not going to show up. And fine you for that but when you're evaluating your flights you will get um one beer at a time you evaluate it typically you'll evaluate it on your own each judge does that independently and assigns a score and then once you're finished with that you talk about it and you decide usually most competitions will tell you they want you to be within five points of each other and one thing that people learn pretty quickly with beer judging is most people are going to be grouped together most of the time. Like it's very rare that you're going to think in a, a beer is an award-winning beer, and I think it's terrible and full of off flavors, right? So you can usually get there pretty easily. And in terms of of assigning a score, and then with your flight, you would rank in your first, second, and third. Uh, so that's what beer competitions look like. Uh, you may be paired with, you know, a larger group of people, but usually you're going to be, it's just you and one other judge, maybe two other judges. Yeah.
0: And I I have found in my, I mean, in my more limited experience, um, it's that every so often you get, Somebody who you know loves to hear the sound of their own voice, or completely disregards any feedback that you might have. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, tasting is very subjective, right? So, you may have a, a memory or 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 something sentimental that that a smell triggers, or something like that, and you'll say something like, "Oh, this this smells exactly like." uh, like barbecue and strawberries. Cause it, you know, triggers that memory. And, you know, then somebody looks at you and is like, what the fuck? Like that right. doesn't make any, <laughs> you know what I mean? And to have somebody like shut you down so hard, especially right. if you're trying to, if you're trying, you know, to put things together for the first time, um, there are a lot of interactions, um, in that, in that beer judging experience that can be fraught with a lot of trauma. Um, and I'm sure you've, you've run into your fair share of that.
1: Yes, definitely. I was very fortunate in that the first time I ever judged beer, I judged with a beer, another judge who was also a woman and she, it was just such a fun learning experience. And we had a great steward as well. And, you know, we, I was empowered to talk about what I felt um, or what I was perceiving. And she was helping me with Oh, well, like, if you know, um, you know, that a beard, the beer's head looks like this, it, it, you know, that's maybe not a good sign. And I had a fantastic first judging experience. Um, my second experience was not as great. Uh, but, you know, I know other women who have been judges who have judged for the first time and they've been paired up with somebody like that. And they've said, I will never judge again. And that's really too bad. And that's, you know, right. And that's not, it's not only women that it's happening to, but, you know, competitions are overlooked, overwhelmingly, your beer judges are going to be older white males. And again, that's not inherently problematic, but you, you know, you're, you've got like kind of two different cultures that are coming together. And I've seen beer judges who have done exactly what you said, where they say like, no, that's not what you're tasting or that's not that, this is, that's this. And that's not correct to do that, right? Mm -hmm. We're all our own best judges of what we're tasting. And part of learning how to be a beer judge is learning how to take, you know, like the barbecue and strawberries and put that into, although I think that is very evocative in my mind. I'm like, (laughs) hmm, barbecue strawberries (laughs) doesn't actually, which I know is not what you said, but in my mind, I'm like, I might have to try that, but (laughs) you know, it's being able to communicate to people what it is that you're perceiving in their beers in a way that they're going to understand. So there's, you know, usually commonly used like beer terms, um, there's, you know, beer flavor lexicons. And that's part of being the more experienced judge is kind of shepherding people through that experience and, you know, allowing people to kind of work that out for themselves. And that's something that I've done before with judges. And I'll, I can give a really quick example. Yeah. One time I was training um, or I was judging with three brand new beer judges and we had a beer, it was a homebrew competition. We had a beer that had chlorophenol in it. So somewhere along the way, more than likely they had brewed with chlorinated water And each person, you know, I had like everybody judged it on their own. And we go through the whole missive of, you know, you don't make faces, don't talk because we're, we're highly susceptible to suggestion. Uh, So we got finished and I, as an experienced judge, who's usually paired with new judges, one of my techniques is I always let the other people speak first. Say, what did you get from this? What did you think about this? And let them explain it to me rather than me saying like this is you what I got had, yeah. yeah and if you didn't get the same thing I got then you're wrong and you know the one of the first people to speak was like YMCA pool water and you know somebody else was That's like so on. That's yeah spot on. <laughs> and so we they all were getting it and they were describing it a different way and then as the experience judge I could say Yes, you were all completely correct and this wow. is chlorophenol and here's how it gets into beer and here's the kind of feedback that we would want to give somebody who has a beer like that. And that's, you know, that that just goes to show is like everybody's talking about the same thing but you may have a different descriptor for it. Yeah.
0: No, and that's and that's perfect. It's such a great example and it's a beautiful moment when, you know, you're training somebody it, in, in tasting, you know, wine or beer or anything. And they kind of have that like fun little moment where it just kind of, where it finally, you know, clicks. Yes. Um, you know, I years and years ago, I was, I was teaching a, like an introduction to wine class and uh, one of the students who had never tasted anything before really um, takes a sip of um, uh, Pinot Noir and he's like, oh, is, there, is this cherry wine? And I was like, "No, but that's perfect. Thank yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, and it's a you know, it's a nice little moment to kind of watch it all watch it all come together. so no, I really I appreciate that. um, so I want to dive into the breakout session that you led um, and you know, aside from you know the example that you just gave where if somebody's new to judging, you know, create kind of a a fostering environment, a a welcoming environment. But what what are some other strategies for making judging inclusive? Because it is an intimidating thing, no matter
1: what, no matter who you are. Right. So for the session that I did, I quickly realized when I got started that I had so much more to talk about, like all of my bullet points than I had time for. Uh, so there is there are a couple of areas, particularly strategies for competition organizers that I intend to build out into more of an evergreen resource that people will be able to use. Because one of the things that um, I, I say a lot you know, is, is say the quiet part out loud, make the invisible visible. And there are a uh, you know, a lot of people out there who maybe aren't quite sure what inclusivity is, but they they just know that they're supposed to do it. And for me, I like being able to create those kinds of resources that make it hard for people to not say the quiet part out loud or make it hard for them to, you know, not say what they're intentions are. So this source and this session was intended to kick that off for, you know, here are tools that have the potential to really change the way that competitions look. Here are the tools to help you get to that goal of being more inclusive. And also now those tools exist. So if you choose not to use them, you know, then that's, are you saying that quiet part out loud that maybe it's not important to you? Maybe you don't want a more inclusive competition, right? So there's, there's kind of two sides for that, but taking away that excuse of, we don't know what to do because we don't know how to use Google and you know and learn how to be more inclusive. So we just won't. Um, so for me, the most important thing that I challenge competition organizers with is, deciding or enunciating why inclusivity is important why is it important to you why is it important to your competition and you know once you have that why the hows kind of fall into place behind that but you really need to have that well-defined why and hopefully for competition organizers you are also including your entire team right because it's not just one person who organizes a competition and i've been part of competitions before where one person it's very inclusive that, or very important that it's inclusive the rest mm-hmm. of the team's not really they're not not on board with it but there hasn't been the conversation of this is why we're doing that and I like I'll give another really quick example there was recently I was invited to judge in a homebrew competition a newer competition but I knew some of the organizers from previous competitions and I was like ah you know, I don't think that this one is really for me and it didn't fit in my schedule well enough that I was willing to kind of like rearrange things. And one of the organizers was at a brewery where my friend was a taproom manager and was saying, oh yeah, we need judges for this. And she said, well, I have a lot of friends who are women who are, are beer judges. And the response was, yeah, we'll take anyone. And that wasn't the messaging that I had received from the competition organizer, Mm-hmm. But that's that's a much more powerful message, right? And for me, that was like, okay, the, the things that I kind of clocked earlier, I'm not wrong about those. So making sure that everybody understands why it's important and not making people understand, right, but fostering those conversations about why this is important for us. And then how is that going to be communicated to your members? And how are you going to encourage buy-in? Because like we said um, at the beginning, you know beer judging as a pool tends to be very homogenous and again the same way that not all historically excluded communities are monoliths neither are the, neither is the beer judging pool um, but realistically speaking you know you're going to have somebody who says you can't say anything to anyone anymore or you know something like that and as an organizer how are you communicating the the importance of why you're doing this to the people who are actually going to be there. So that's my, you know, my first challenge for organizers. Mm -hmm. Uh, My second is to recognize what barriers to entry there are. And those that can be, you know, is an environmental macroaggression where every person at your competition is white. Uh, Almost every person at your competition is a white guy. And all of your pictures show that, you know, your, when you're looking for people, where are you looking? If you're, you know, if you're only posting to your homebrew club, then you're going to continue only getting that homebrew club pool. Um, And so, you know, what, what are people seeing when they see your competition? And it's, you know, it's okay. And, and inclusion doesn't have to look like only recruiting women or only recruiting people who aren't white, this, you know, there's, is it, is it handicap accessible? There's all sorts of things to consider Mm -hmm. and you can demonstrate that you care about inclusivity. Even let's say like you, somehow you live someplace where everyone looks exactly like you, right? Like you can still demonstrate inclusivity uh, to people. So they know that they're going to be safe and Mm -hmm. they're also going to have a good experience, Um, ranks and credentials, you know, I'm, I'm, I have ranks and credentials. They, that doesn't confer absolute authority or absolute ability, you know, particularly for things like BJCP, CISRON is the same way. There isn't any kind of continuing education requirement, So you could have gotten your BJCP certification 25 years ago when there were like 15 beer styles listed. That doesn't mean that you are a bad judge. But it does mean that you haven't necessarily been challenged to keep up with new styles, um, you know, how the lexicon may have changed over time, all of that. So, you know, thinking about are those credentials really important? How accessible are they? If you decide we're only going to have national BJCP ranked judge judges judging, that you know, that automatically eliminates most of your beer judge pool. And does that national rank necessarily translate to the quality you're looking for for your competition? Um, so, what are your your priorities as a competition organizer? Is it efficient judging? Is it very good feedback for your entrants? Is it training new judges? Is it encouraging future entries? You know, and those are all those are just examples of priorities. Every competition's priorities are going to look different, but once you've kind of figured out what those are, then looking at are we holding our current judge pool to the same standards that we're using to gatekeep, right? To keep people out. Mm-hmm. Do we keep inviting problematic or low-performing judges year after year? Um, are we, you know, are we enforcing those same standards? Are we reviewing score sheet quality and following up with judges when we need to? And if you know those ranks aren't, and you know, and they shouldn't be, right? Like you shouldn't, for me. Uh, I think you should keep an open mind about where are those transferable skill sets. So some of the things that I suggested in my presentation were like, if you want somebody with a fantastic palate, who's very good at descriptive language, go to a culinary school, right? You know, uh, like pull people. When I worked at breweries, the back of house team, they were almost always on my sensory panel if I could arrange it because I knew they had fantastic palates. They were talking about food all day and that translates very well to beer. And that may not, you know, maybe you don't have a certification or a rank, but that doesn't mean that you don't have this really good talent for doing this, that you wouldn't be adding something to the competition. So kind of thinking through like, how do I achieve my goals if these, you know, if these ranks really aren't important or where else can I look to achieve those goals? Because even things like Cicerone is, it can be very cost prohibitive. BJCP mm-hmm. can be very location prohibitive. You know, there are barriers to entry for getting those credentials that are, a lot of times make it only available to, again, like a very homogenous group of people. So rethinking how do I achieve my competition goals outside of ranks on paper? Yeah.
0: And also, I, I I feel like, and have you ever experienced this where you have been judging and there is a toxic situation and the organizers have dealt with it in the moment? Because I, I have experienced that only once and right. it was not in the past. It was very, very recent. And it was kind of a magical moment because I felt like, ooh, things are getting better.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. No, I have not. No, no, I have not experienced that. And that was also something in my session that I talked about. This will be another, like another larger resource, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, what are common microaggressions that you're going to find in a beer competition? And as an organizer, how do you respond to those? Because the onus shouldn't be on the person being harassed to be the one to take care of it, particularly if you're the competition organizer so what are, what are some of those common microaggressions? How can you provide training to your judges ahead of time? Do you have ways to hold people accountable? Um, you know, do you have a code of conduct that your judges are signing? So that way, if somebody violates it, you can say, you said you wouldn't do this, you know, and so let's, yeah. you know, let's follow up with that. Um, you know, how can you use active bystander skills? How can you you know, redirect or, you know, a a lot of times I think people think that challenging someone is going to be high conflict and it's not, you know, it can just be as easy as saying, what did you mean by that? And kind of challenging the person to kind of like finish that thought, you know, say that quiet part out loud Mm -hmm. and the challenge isn't to put someone on the spot or embarrass them, it's, you know, to provide an opportunity for education and for growth. Uh, So I have not seen uh, somebody take care of that. But I think some of that too, just goes back to you don't have kind of those foundational accountability documents, to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And, you know, particularly in my experience with homebrew competitions, there are some that I don't do anymore, because I know the judge pool and I, I don't need to be there. Right. And that's too bad because like I said, I, I know I'm an excellent judge and I know I'm not the only one who's opting out of those kinds of competitions. Um, so again, like your, your judging pool is getting even smaller and like yeah. even more, you know, just the same and having those kinds of things where somebody can say, Hey, like, steward can you go get the competition organizer or even better somebody sees what's happening and steps in and helps you out and that's that's one of those things that i tell people like don't don't come and tell me about how you saw this person say something really racist or really sexist and you didn't agree with it like don't come and tell me that tell the person in the moment particularly one of the biggest messages i had in my session was It's more impactful when a member of the dominant group is the one who speaks up. I can sit across the table from somebody being sexist to me and say, you're being sexist to me. That doesn't hold the same amount of weight as, let's say, a competition organizer who's a man coming over and saying, stop being sexist, you're being sexist. So that's huge. And that's that's where we need competition organizers, people involved in the competition to really step up and take on that as part of their duties. For sure. So I feel like I could talk to you for
0: hours, um, but unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> podcasts are limited time. Um, but uh, Jen, thank you so much for for taking the time um, to be on the show. Uh, listeners, I would highly encourage you um, to check out Jen's website under the Jenfluence. I see what you did there. And I really <laughs> Um, she does have a beer judge training course. It's, it's a little bit over a hundred lessons. Um, but the way it's organized is really, really brilliant. Um, many, many times in my career, I have said, I'm going to get this certification and I go (laughs) to the website and it's incredibly dated. It's incredibly hard to maneuver. And, um, you know, 15 years and I still haven't gotten it. So, um, (laughs) this might be my inspiration to finally finally get through it but the the way it's organized is really easy to use um the information is really really rich um jen also has a lot of other information um on her website uh as well as definitely check out um false bottom girls um Mm -hmm. it's 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 really fantastic so uh jen thank you so much and i i really hope we will get to see you again on the show
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me.
0: Excellent. Well, listeners, this has been another episode of Beer Me. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram. Uh, we are available anywhere you get podcasts. So please like, subscribe, give all the stars, and we will catch you next time. Cheers.